for TBRCon 21. My name is Beth Tabler, and I'm one of the site leads at Grimdark Magazine, and I own Before We Go Block. So I just want to say hello and welcome our authors, and if everybody can just go through and introduce themselves, that would be great. Talk a little bit about what you got going on. Uh, Adrian, can you go ahead? Uh, yeah, sure. So yeah, Adrian Selby. Um, I just had a book out this week, actually. So I've got loads of copies knocking around. See, Brother Red um, came out um, and I've got two other books, Snakewood and uh, The Winter Road. Uh, Who next? Me next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go for it. <laughs> um, hi, I'm Holly Tinsley. I'm a self-published author. Um, just so that you are all aware, I have literally no idea where the camera on this is. So if you're thoughtfully into the distance, I'm not being thoughtful. I just don't know where I'm looking. Um, I had a book out um, last October, which was We Men of Ash and Shadow, which is a gas lamp grimdark fantasy adventure. Okay, who's next? <laughs> oh, I'll go next. Hi, I'm, I'm Peter McLean. I'm author of Wolf the Rose Throne and the Burman series. So Wolf the Rose Throne starts with Priest of Bones. Um, sequel is out is Priest of Lies. Book three, Priest of Gallows, comes out at the end of April and will be concluding with Priest of Crowns at some point next year. It is honestly 6 p.m. here in England, so you'll have to forgive me. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, who's next? Go ahead. Yeah. Me? Yeah. Hi, I'm Ben <laughs> You're all in different orders. It's brilliant. <laughs> Hi, yeah, I'm Ben Galley. I'm an author of Dark and Epic Fantasy, uh, most known for the MNESCA series, uh, the Chasing Grace trilogy. And then recently, as of just before Christmas, came out with the new Skeleton Chronicle series, which starts with Forever King. And yeah, that's me. <laughs> okay. Hi, welcome. Go ahead. Go ahead, Gareth. Yeah. Uh, I'm Gareth Hanrahan. I'm a writer and game designer. Uh, in terms of novels, I'm doing the Black Iron Legacy. And which way do I go? This way. Or the Gutter Prayer. And book three, which has a name, and it's the Broken God, but remember that, is out in May. Okay. That's right. Go ahead. I'll, I'll go last. That's all right. Um, <laughs> I'm GR Matthews. I'm Jeff Matthews. It makes it easier. Um, I've written loads of books, but Stone Road, Forbidden List series, and some sci-fi in the Corin Hayes. And I next book is at, called Seven Deaths of an Empire. It's out from Rebellion Solaris in June. Okay, year. wonderful. Welcome, welcome, panelists. Uh, I guess we can start with just why grimdark. You know what attracts you to the genre? It's not exactly the most cheerful genre. <laughs> <laughs> Still said the mass mass murder. Sociopaths and mass murder. Yeah, naturally. Yeah. I was about to say it reflects real life, and then you went with mass murderers and sociopaths, and I'm just. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I had no idea I was writing Grimdark. I just what I thought it was a fantasy novel, and then somebody was like, "Oh, Grimdark!" And they're going, "Okay, then." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, same, same. <laughs> yeah, I, I think grimdark's one of those terms that nobody agrees what it means. Right. That yeah. conversation. So it's, it, it's, it's a difficult question to answer because we're all going to have a different definition. I mean, <laughs> for, for me, what what I like about what I think of as grimdark is that it's it's low fantasy. It's more the sword and sorcery kind of. Mm -hmm. There's not a great deal of magic. You don't get dragons and elves or whatever, and magic is something unusual and to be feared. So 
Mm. As my dear friend RJ Barker once said, Grimdark is fantasy for people who like history but wish a wizard had been there. <laughs> and it's, it's that kind of thing, do you know what I mean? It's, it's more about characters and setting and human actions than it is about the fantastical, I think. Mm. Yeah. I was a bit like uh, Gareth. I uh, I hadn't heard of the term Grimdark. I had I wasn't aware that it was a thing, so I just wrote a book about mercenaries who necessarily are morally dubious at the best of times. Um, and and yeah, you know, with all the the drugs in my book and everything, you know, it all seemed to make perfect sense to me. And then, um, you know, then I I start reading Joe Abercrombie after I started writing Snakewood, and it's just like, oh yeah, okay. And 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 then I understood that it, this is where it would fit, and Orbit Orbit guided me in that respect as well. Um, so yeah, so yeah, all of a sudden I'm a grimdark author out of nowhere. So. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> a rabbit hole. Like everybody has a different perception of what grimdark actually is. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like, it is, it's to do with the tone, and the setting, isn't it? Rather than mm. you don't set up yeah. yeah. sociopaths and mass murderers. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but you kind of just—it's just what comes out, and it's the tone that is that reflection of life and the struggle that people go through. Yeah. You just put into your tone of your book, and people call it mm. grimdark. I don't know. It's, it's a hard one to yeah. find for anybody, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I think it's a definitely dragons and elves out of mine now, though. Peter said that. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking. Don't, 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 don't let the side down, Jeff. Don't let the side down. Yeah, I think it's like dipping into the darker side because we're all kind of fascinated with, you know, also the rubbernecking of like, you know, dark news stories and things like that. Even though we find it kind of grotesque and horrible, it's kind of. I don't know, we have this ghoulish interest in it. And I think, you know, we all know that those areas of society exist. So, you know, why shouldn't they exist in fantasy? You know, that dark, like, you know, drugs, maybe no dragons, apparently. <laughs> but yeah, you know, drugs, abundant violence, you know, things where no one's really safe at any given time. And I think, yeah, it's kind of that window into that substrata of filth and evil. <laughs> so, yeah, fascinated with. Truly just feel good books is what you're saying. Absolutely. Generally feel good. Yeah. Ages six and up. Yeah. Simple for everyone. All right. What would you say the number one misnomer is people have about Grimdark? It's depressing, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, the one number one misnomer to my mind is like, you know, that there's a sort of university redefinition. Like I, mean, my, my, I always thought well, the term grimdark originally came from, as far as I know, from War of Forty Thousand, where this yeah. Yeah. Of, uh, yeah. the the grimdark features only war, mm -hmm. and initially it was I interpreted it as this like a ridiculously over the top, utterly unrealistic level of grimness and darkness, where like you know, oh we must like you know the great clock ticks every day and we must grease it with the blood of forty thousand men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the, yeah, I've, I've written for Warhammer. That's not actually far wrong. If you allow to be more like you know, to be like you know, realistic, down to earth fantasy as opposed to ridiculously over the top sort of Gormenghast doom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems more on like a human scale, or at least you yeah. know, individual scale. Um, yeah. Even though it might feature across continents and you know, it might be wars and things like that. But I think, yeah, it does kind of bring it the focus down the smaller the lens into kind of human struggles. I, yeah. I wonder if one of the problems is people think that the, the books are going to be full of characters you won't care about, just simply despicable characters and awful characters. And, and, and who wants that? You know, they, they, 
they're not expecting to find maybe compelling characters or characters who are, who are very human, I suppose, you know, with, with flaws, but but nevertheless have qualities that you can, you know, kind of get behind or, or, or characters that are compelling, if not lovable. Uh, and so, yeah, I, th I think maybe they expect the protagonist to just be just dreadful people and, who, you know, and, and that, that puts them off. And, and obviously that's, that clearly isn't true. I like the idea that um, Grimdark is more human. It's like people are stinky. Food is bad. The king sucks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I, mean, I, th I think like I've come across quite a few um, occasions where I think a lot of people get this idea when they think about Grimdark that it's a story about violence and it's actually it's the story is about the characters who are in a violent world. So it's there's a difference between violence without purpose and violence that has a reason that maybe doesn't fit in with the normal fantasy tropes so it is kind of more brutal in a sense but actually it's it's not about the brutality it's about the reaction of the characters and how they live in the worlds that they're in yeah absolutely yeah. agree I, I think one of the big things about grimdark is there are consequences to actions and there are consequences to violence but if, if you look at your sort of your classic high fantasy you your heroes get in a big fight, they get wounded, the wizard casts healing spell, everybody's all right now, and we carry on, you know. In Grimdark, somebody's dying of gangrene, somebody else has got maggots hanging out of their leg, and they're all going to have PTSD for the next 10 years, which I, I think is far more realistic, you know. Yeah. And I, I think that's a big part of it, is, is the consequences of actions. Yeah. yeah. It's the consequences on the characters themselves as well, who's dishing out the violence. It's not like Dragonlance. Mm. Where they oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the consequence on the actual protagonist who does the violence and then mm. carries on and has to yeah. deal with it afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Killing yeah, isn't an easy right. thing. Mm hmm. No, well, it's, it shouldn't be. If it is, there's something wrong with you. No. But, you know, yeah. I mean, that is that's a, a big part of War for the Rose Throne. Is uh, it's set after a big war. And the characters have all come home with what they call a battle shock, what we'd think of as PTSD because of what the war's done to them. And I think that's something you, you wouldn't get in high fantasy that you do get in Grimdark, I think. Yeah, it's much mm. more human. Yeah. yeah. I like the characters in Grimdark a lot more for that reason. I wouldn't necessarily say I empathize with some of them, but I understand. I find them a lot more believable. I mean, yeah. if, if you look at a character like Glopter in the first law, that he's, you know, he's this horrible crippled torturer but then when you find out what he'd been through mm -hmm. that's exactly why he's how he is and it it makes him a completely believable character however so over the top it may seem what he does you, you can always understand how he got to where he is and why he's the way he is i think he's brilliant absolutely brilliant character yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Love it. yeah i always find as well there's sort of more sacrifice either it's like I don't know, mental or physical sacrifice for characters in grimdark novels, just because I think that's the way that the arc progresses, rather than just sort of learning a new spell every novel and being like, oh, this will be the one to defeat this Dark Lord. And it's mm. all very simple. They have to go through, yeah, tread through the mire and have, you know, <laughs> literally bleed and survive to get through, you know, to their story, to the end of their story arc. And I always find that more satisfying and, again, a bit more realistic um, than, yeah, high fantasy. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if it's just specifically like the, the Grim Dog that I've read, but I tend to find that it's much more about decision than destiny. So, kind mm. of tying in with the idea of consequences, is that 
the characters are made more human by the fact that the decisions aren't taken out of their hands by you know like fate or magic or like gods or whatever a lot of it is just down to them in one moment deciding whether they're going to do a good thing or a bad thing or like a survival thing so you know i think that just brings a you know a more like relatable elements to it mm -hmm. more tension yeah. peril as well mm. absolutely i think chosen ones are difficult to relate to on a a realistic level was sort of you randolph or destined to save the world kind of character you think well <laughs> mm, I don't know. but you, you look at you, your average trust the legend say you know i mean he's doing what he does because that's what he believes in and he chooses to do it not because destiny says he'll do it and i think that feels more more human in a way i heard something really great describing grimdark it was you know high fantasy is who we want to be the grimdark is who we actually are. <laughs> yeah, you know? I like that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Quite a depressing thought, though, to be honest. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm one dark bastard. Agency, they have choice. Mm. They choose yeah. to do things for certain reasons versus, you yeah. know, they are compelled by a mysterious force outside of themselves to save the world. There's a place for both in fantasy, but. That's why I like Grimdark so much. I think it's, it's Ben's point, isn't it? Ben mentioned safety earlier. The characters aren't safe in the Grimdark yeah. world. In the world of high fantasy, they're safe. They're chosen. They're going to get through to the end and, and win out of the day. Yeah. In Grimdark, you, you might lose the character halfway through the book or in the first chapter. It's not, they're not going to necessarily be safe all the way through. That's, yeah, that's the underlying You've tension. got that realistic bit of life and death. Yeah. That's mm. the Game of Thrones thing, right? So you, he's writing yeah. about this great character oh, yeah. that you love and then just... <laughs> Just yeah. they're dead. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um, what aspects of your settings made the novel grimdark, and how do you stop your novel from, you know, staying grimdark and not going to say splatter porn? No. <laughs> Which, uh, you shouldn't Google, by the way. Is like you know the right definition? Oh. <laughs> That's a terrible name, but yeah. <laughs> on some government watch list when you google <laughs> oh, we're all on government ever since oh man yeah i was the, was it the yeah. first kind of grimdark novel that again similar experience i didn't quite know it's grimdark until kind of afterwards it's heart of stone uh, my standalone novel which is kind of flitlock and a bit more kind of um i'd say slightly towards the more modern than my other fantasies um and it was kind of the how do I, how much pressure does it take to crush a human skull? And then all the other searches around that and being like, well, if it is a grip, can you do it? And I was like, I am on so many watch lists just for this one. And then after that, like recipes for gunpowder because it's flintlock fantasy. How to bury a body. That's it. They're yeah. coming for you, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> you want to read an author? Check out my book. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, we have a question. <clears throat> from Jody Crump. I always wonder if a lot of research goes into portrayal of things like PTSD to make it as realistic as possible. Um, That's a piece of isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it does because it's a real thing. I mean, you, you're writing fantasy, you're making stuff up all the time. But when something is a real thing that affects real people in the real world, you've got to do the research. I mean, I spoke to a lot of former police officers, prison officers serving frontline battle soldiers um i hope i got it right is all i can say i'm gonna have been i've been told by a couple of ex-servicemen that i've had a fair job of it so 
best I can do. But I think, yeah, with something like that that's actually serious, you do owe it to people to do the research, definitely. I hadn't actually, like, planned on mentioning it. It's not a subject that I like particularly talk about a lot, but it is kind of something that I don't hide behind, is I actually had PTSD myself for uh, around eight years. Um, so I've kind of gone through the experience of um, having PTSD, going through the therapy of it, mm -hmm. and a lot of kind of my own experiences went into creating the, the main character of uh, John Vanguard, who is the uh, protagonist in my book. And a lot of the ways that he reacts and his experiences are derived from, from literal experiences that I had myself during that time. So. Um, I completely agree with what Peter said. It's like it's so important to to not only get those experiences right so that they're represented well, but also to make them individual to that character as well because it's such an individual experience to to go through. So yeah, it's massively yeah, important. Definitely. Yeah. Do you guys ever use sensitivity readers for that purpose? I have. Yes, I've used them. I'm not under that name, but I guess in talking to veterans and. Yeah. getting a feel and yeah kind, kind of i guess yeah yeah i've a few beta readers that i trust in sort of bringing up those issues or if there are any issues um uh, yeah okay all right um did you see that one of the qualities of a grimdark story is that it largely contrasts with other types of fantasy books in the casualness that the the violence happens like you know, in, in any fancy book you can have like you know j random sword fight yeah. but in Grimdark, you're going to linger a bit on like you know the fact there's a body there and there's this guy like you know bleeding out and complaining about it as opposed to another novel where they like, you know, ah they stood the the bandits and they were defeated and they rode on <laughs> yeah no i, I agree i think, I think the violence in grimdark is less casual than in you know in the lord of the rings kind of thing where you know we rode through gondor and slaughtered ten thousand orcs and on we rode kind of thing and you think well yeah, okay but you know if you've just shoved a man in a back alley behind the tavern and are now covered in guts and blood and trying to get home without being caught by the city guard it's going to be on your mind isn't it you know what i mean <laughs> I think it's only casual. Yeah. Casual is a, a, a strange term. I think for some books where there is hideous violence, like Anna Stevens' mm. famous testicle scene, it's not. It's not casual. Yeah. There's nothing yeah. casual about that. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, so it's not a casual. Still it's, not over. Still not over that, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> no, never mind. Yeah. Yeah. Never get over oh, it. every time. I'm casually. It's done for a purpose. Yeah, go on, Adrian. Yeah, the, my uh, Taya Amundsen, uh, the main character in in the Winter Road. You know, she's um, just. It starts with a kind of a. She's thinking back to kind of what what happened, which you catch up with later in the book, because it's kind of um, you know present, and then it goes back in time and it alternates. Um, but you know, she's she recalls near the start of the book, um, a time when she was starving, desperate. You know, kind of just uh just escaped from this place and and strangling a man to death for his clothes and his his boots because she, she was up high up in the mountains um you know and so yeah it, it, it's exactly what peter said really you know she she was you know she was you know felt you know that the horror and she felt having to do that to kill an innocent man in order to survive herself um you know like you say it's 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 very very far from casual and something she she you know would really scarred her to have to do uh, to survive mm. yeah. 
And there is a bit in the Winter Road, which I won't spoil for anybody if you haven't read it, but do go and read it, where I knew it was coming because it was the history of it, but I didn't want to get yeah, to yeah. read. And then I got through it and read, yeah. and, you, and you, the violence that happens is definitely not casual, and you cry as you're reading it because you've built up knowing it's going to happen. So you know, I think casual violence would actually be anti-Grimdark in some ways. Yeah, I guess it would yeah. be. I've yeah, never right. cried at um, 40,000 orcs dying. Yeah, no. <laughs> Maybe that's the 40k thing, I suppose, if you come from a war game. <laughs> You know, with these, these big fields of anonymous, it's almost like the CGI at the beginning of the Lord of the Rings film, isn't it? They're just they're just lots of ants almost, just just mm. clashing. You you, you can't yeah. feel it. So yeah. Yeah. the 40k the, the argument there would be it's like it was grim and dark because like, you know, look, your life is so meaningless. You are just one of those forty thousand ants. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Like, in novel terms, instead of being like you know, the commander up on the uh, up on the Titan looking down at this field of violence. You're one of the guys down there, so it has to be more sort of personal and less casual because it's happening to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, okay. definitely more visceral. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. I mean, there's definitely yeah. it seems to be a bit more like either an abundance or creativity, um, as yeah, maybe not so much the the, the casualness of it, but it's definitely yeah, that <laughs> sort of thinking of different ways and more inventive ways to kind of add the violence where it does matter. <laughs> yeah. More purposeful. That's it. Yeah. Boutique violence. Huh? Boutique violence. Boutique, yeah. <laughs> I'll look another term for a t-shirt. <laughs> that, that senior Game of Thrones is the one that got me where they strap the barrel um, of rats, starving rats, to someone's oh. chest and then sort of hold the torch to the end of the barrel. And they dig through. Mm. Yeah. And then, I mean, that... I've, that was some, in some ways, more shocking. Even that just one scene, and some other characters getting knifed or decapitated or what have you. Yeah, yeah. That is, that was a real thing. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I ended up. I, mean, I, I always maintain whatever <laughs> you make up in Grimdark, you will never outgrim real history. No, no. Yeah. Some of the things I've found going down research rabbit holes are like. Yeah, yeah, I'm not using that. That's too. Yeah. That's too nasty, yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brazen bull. I think yeah. that's the worst one for me. Yeah. Is that the one? I'm oh no, the, of the, the two up? boats. The two boats is even worse, oh, man. Honestly, what's yeah. The two? They pull some oh no, 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 no! Google it if you really want to do that for yourself. <laughs> this is the Grim Dark panel, Peter. Come on. Yeah, there might be children watching this early. <laughs> it is just the nastiest thing I think I've ever heard, and so I mean. You'll never make up something nastier than somebody's already done to someone. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's incredible. There are some more things out there. Yeah, absolutely. That again, I think we're just portraying that in a way. We're just taking what we already know about humanity and just mm. presenting it again with yeah. wizards. Maybe, yeah. I think Grimdark is honest at its core. Mm. I mean, I don't know who's read it yet, but Anna Smith Spark had a column in Grimdark magazine. On the website certainly that I, I saw on Facebook today and it's phenomenally good I highly recommend reading it and it's about how Grimdark effectively portrays the honesty of the human condition there's mm -hmm. uh, Anna puts it a lot better than I do because she's a lot cleverer than I am but it's well worth a read it's extremely good yeah hmm. most definitely um how do writers ensure focus on character and story not on the violence and I think we touched on that but maybe we could talk about it a bit more yeah. How do we get somebody, how do we get, how do we focus and turn the focus mm. to the actual character and not just violence for violence? Uh, I suppose because the violence is going to be more consequential and more like real feeling, then the character isn't going to enter into it as casually. Like it's more the character's reaction to the violence and mm. 
and the, the sort of effect of committing that violence or having the violence committed upon you. Yeah, exactly that. I mean, I write in yeah. first person, so you, everything yeah. is from the character's point of view anyway, which is possibly yeah. cheating, cheating a little bit on around that question, I suppose. But <laughs> it's all his perceptions, his view of the world. That's all you get in the books. Mm. It's how yeah. Thomas Piety sees, feels, acts. So, you know, there's, there's not that degree of remove from the yeah. character to what you're seeing. Just saying, it has to be can you? It, it, no, it would be a book. It it just be, no. Yeah. You've got, the character's got to be there. The setting has to be there. Yeah. 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 That's like the movie Saul, you know, that's why yeah. it's just violence for violence sake. Mm. Yeah. I think for me, it's like, I always, my kind of way I approach characters is there always has to be kind of that balance of necessity and consequence. So they obviously they need something, but they have to go through something to get in, it, in its most basic form. So I think, you know, in terms of um, the way I balance that with the violence is that, you know, I bring it in to increase and the tension and peril within those scenes. So it's like, yeah, they could die. And this actually matters so much to them. And yeah, writing first person something I've only done with one se uh, season, series. Um, but yeah, as Peter said, I found it incredible to be able to describe exactly, you know, the, um, the stress of any violent scene. And it's not that swashbuckling thing of, you know, someone kind of marching into a scene and just being taking out everyone single handedly. Um, it's that, you know, um, in fact, it's Dogman from the first Law trilogy, who is always mm. needing a piss in battle, yeah. and that constant yeah. stress of needing to go for a piss while killing people and ducking sword blades and just <laughs> somehow making it through. His character had plenty of that, and it was just and that from a third person as well is expertly done. And I, yeah, it yeah. just matters. he matters so much to me as a character because of that. I, I read an I read an interview with Joe once where he said that before he sold the book in his original draft, the Dogman parts were written in first person. And his, his okay. editor didn't like that, so he changed it. But I think it comes across in just how relatable that character is. Right. Yeah. yeah I, found that, I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah. Mm. But now I love the Dogman. He's a brilliant character. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of brilliant yeah. characters in Grimdark. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even the best when I mean, you mentioned Eric Lochter is, you know, doing the torturing. You still care about yeah. him again. Well, maybe not at first, but yeah, as his story is revealed, you realize there's, I think, it's a purpose behind it. Um, where it's just like, even if they're trying to escape being killed or doing the killing, whichever you like to do it, uh, whichever yeah. you like to see it from, there there is a purpose behind it. And when we lose that purpose or a reason for it, I think people just see it as gratuitous. Yeah. Inexplicable. And I think there's there's as kind of a message behind Glockzer. I mean, Abercrombie's sort of famous quote is, first it's done to you, then you do it to others, and then you order it to done. And that's Glockzer's yeah. character arc in one sentence. So I think that's just absolute genius. A yeah. piece of characterization is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, see. Why do you think Grimdark has come about as a genre? Has it always existed in its current form, or is it a has it developed recently as like a reaction to Tolkien? No, I think Robert E. Howard was pretty grimdark with all Conan stuff. Yeah. There, just Tom, wasn't, Tom, there wasn't a word for it then, but yeah. yeah. I mean, Tom, you look at the end of Lord of the Rings, that yeah. is grimdark as any, isn't it? Chil the Chil of the yeah. Shire. 
Children yeah. of Hurin as well. I read Children of Hurin, and that was just bleak. I mean, mm -hmm. that was dreadfully bleak. You know? well, I mean, Tolkien oh. wrote off the back of World War One. I. I mean, the guy yeah, wasn't yeah. going to be feeling yeah, upbeat, yeah. was he? Yeah. You know, <laughs> all, all, all Tolkien is incredibly dark. If you like, look at it, like you know, the setting is like you know, basically post-apocalyptic. Given like you know, all the kingdoms have fallen, there was a giant plague. Yeah. The Dark Lord has won. He, like he's just mopping up the world. Yeah. Um, characters. Yeah. Well, I mean, only one character flesh dies, but like you know, off, like there's this like sense of threat through uh, for most of it. The main character gets PTSD and but he can never be happy again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's all told in this like sort of heroic, happy tone because the hobbits. Mm. Like, like if it was told like first person from like you know Aragorn's perspective or Barmer or something, it'd be a very very different feeling book. <laughs> be <laughs> sure yeah. if it was Barmer. Exactly. <laughs> Everyone talking about how my, my, my notes say, <laughs> my notes say, let Gareth talk about Tolkien. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the whole premise of, of that world is it's, it's a decline into dark. It's a slow yeah. ending yeah. into the shadow, yeah. and everything is yeah. is dark within it. Yeah. Just the hobbits are maybe a little bit of light within, because even the elves are leaving, mm. aren't they? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of the the end of the age of legend and the transition to the modern world, isn't it? Mm. In a mm. way. But uh, yeah. he, as, as he elides over all the like you know the other bits like you know the orcs are slaughtered and their bodies disappear. No one goes to the bathroom. The hardship described in detail is like you know trying to find uh, a rabbit to cook in the middle of this like desolation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of no surprise when you think about like because obviously he was obsessed with Germanic and Nor Norwegian and Scandinavian myth, wasn't he? Um, in terms of that, and you know, some of the Germanic fairy tales that we grew up with and know very well now are dark as fuck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know? And it's really just are. one of those, I mean, like most children get eaten. Um, if you leave your village, you will get killed. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's like how everything gets real Disney. You know, if you actually look at the, the fables and the myths and stuff mm. that you're written, they are dark as hell. Oh, yeah. yeah. Victorian, like you know, the Victorians bowlderized everything and made everything like you know, nice and shiny and polite, and it's just like you know, fancy getting back towards yeah, what it used to be. I think that's a really <laughs> good point, actually. Yeah, society just like knocking down all those Victorian censorship walls that yeah. we built up. <laughs> we're we're un undisneying our history. I think. <laughs> we're doing, you know. Going back to the Cinderella where the ugly sisters cut toes off to try and make the slip of fit, like they yes. did the original <laughs> one. Yeah. You know? Isn't there crows that pecked out eyes? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Story? Oh, those things are brutal, honestly. They really are. And it's, we yeah. just lost that at some point in the 20th century, but it's, it's definitely coming back, I think. Because like history good. was grimdark. I mean, yeah, yeah trying, like, living absolutely. through the Middle Ages is like any of our mm. books in a way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A human struggle again. Yeah. Nobody uh, wants to live in the Middle Ages. Yeah, it's terrible. You know, in the in the later <laughs> periods, I mean, I read a admittedly condensed version of Samuel Pepys' diaries last year, and he lived through the plague, the Great Miasma, and the Great Fire of London. I think mean, you can keep Oof. it, man. <laughs> it doesn't sound far. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Do you think, I mean, I, I started reading fantasy in the 80s and 90s when I was a teenager. Not for both those decades, that would be silly, but for the 80s, <laughs> it was a um, But uh, um, a lot of it was was the dragon art stuff and was heroic yeah. fantasy in many ways but there was yeah. there were 
books that were darker in there. Elizabeth Boyer's Alpha series is quite dark. Mm. It's set up in the Nordic lands, and the elves aren't always nice, and they do kill people and steal people. But maybe it's, we've gone more realistic. Maybe the internet mm. is at fault that we can now see things everywhere, and we were exposed to it all the time, so we've become oh, more realistic. We're right. Do you think that maybe that's the reason why it's become bigger force in fantasy like a larger amount of books are written from grimdark it's like what the late 90s on it's really started to get more popular and you see it in television you know there's mm -hmm. a lot more grimdark-esque tv shows that have yeah. game, of, game of thrones blew it up didn't it game of thrones yeah. Um, oh, yeah. you know, just just it changed did, yeah. you know it, it went I, mainstream I it... and open and, and gave people something other than um the movies of lord of the rings or what they thought fantasy was, which was, you know, happy dappy elves and dwarves dancing around, you know, oh, and Game of Thrones is, is so gritty and brutal. The magic is low, you know, it, it, it's there, but it's not, say, zapping people with your fingers. Um, and, mm. and I think that that then created a much bigger appetite for it, like you say, which obviously uh, publishers and um, I think my own agents, uh, agency, Amazon agency, they they hired my agent on the grounds that they saw both YA and Game of Thrones blow up in their respective ways, Twilight and and, and, and we we need to get authors in for this because you know there's there's a readership there, yes. you know publishing's kicking off. We need to get some expertise in the agency, so it, it which which led to me getting getting an agent kind of indirectly, you know. So I've got, I've got Game of Thrones to thank, I think. <laughs> yeah, you know, two steps removed for, for, for actually have, having a book deal at all. But but it's you, you're right, Beth, it, it's it's blown up and therefore created a, an appetite, which obviously we're all rushing to fill. Yeah. Oh, it has. I think it started in the 90s, though. You got, certainly in comics and movies, everything was getting darker and edgier through oh, the like, yeah. 90s. Killing Joke, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Sad Killing Joe. Joke. And then Hellblazer. Tim Burton's Batman well. was yeah. not like Batman. Spawn, absolutely, yeah. I mean, that was yeah. peak peak '90s image comics, wasn't yeah. it? It was just everything <laughs> dark and has got spikes on it. It just has. <laughs> <laughs> Alan everything Moore, wasn't it? Them. Uh, was mm. it Miracle Man originally? Alan Moore yeah. did in yeah, Action Comics, Watchmen. which was the late '70s, and then Watchmen followed. But that was the deconstruction yeah. of the superhero. Exactly um, that. Yeah. Actually, but I got the killing joke was a, sorry, Beth. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, I was, I was, just going to say, I think Killing Joke was probably a fairly foundational step. With something as to go from something like Adam West's Batman with his underpants on the outside to Killing Joke in the space of five years is just like, <laughs> what, what happened? You know? Yeah, Alan Moore happened. Yeah, exactly that. Alan Moore happens. Yeah. Well, what <laughs> you do Alan Moore? You've got like the most grimdark thing I can think of is Watchmen. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah three hundred close on you know, on its heels yeah. as well. Like, I, just, I think it's it was kind of like a weird thing because like my kind of before I, well, I was always writing since I was a kid, but then I, I studied music for a long time and thought that was going to be my career path. And we studied kind of like the twist in the nineties into a lot more of kind of alternative music because that was a direct response to the glitz and glamour of the eighties, the kind of like the saccharine pop that you've got, you know, and sort of boy bands and girl bands. And suddenly we've got like you know Nirvana. We've got obviously more heavier metal coming out that was based on what we had before. And so I think it's definitely kind of like drawing a parallel. I think it is at some point, maybe not recently. Yeah, definitely the '90s is a turning point. But it is, I think, a slight response to some people to being like, no, we we're tired of yeah all this fairy dust and sparkles. We want throats and entrails, and throats yeah. and things yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, we do. I do wonder, though, 
I'm sorry, this was probably going to be one of your questions, Beth. If given out of an absolute horror show last year and probably most of this year is going to be, if we're going to see the pendulum go the other way and people are like, I'm sick of being depressed and miserable and everybody dying and can we have some unicorns and sparkles, please? I, mean, yes. I don't know. That was actually oh, yeah. my last question, yes. Like how has, right. <laughs> how has the pandemic affected mm. you guys as authors? You know, because I've heard a lot of authors talk about how they too much and they couldn't go down those dark roads until, uh, you know, the pandemic was over or, you know, the hell state of 2020. I can't say it has, but then I've got a deadline, so I've got to do it, whether I like it or not. But, (laughs) (coughs) excuse me, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I work a corporate day job so I can work full time from home. And we don't have yeah, our children have grown up and left. So, you know, we haven't got kids under our feet. We've got a homeschool. I've got a home office. I just, I never leave this room. Basically, <laughs> I do my day job in this room all day. And then I write in here in the evening. So I am a prisoner yeah. in one one room, which is an annex <laughs> on the side of the house. You, you can see it's also my gym. So there's a shower about the back. I don't know why the wife still lets me in the house, honestly. <laughs> she should push food through a hatch or something. But other than that, it's... It hasn't really for me. I mean, I, again, I'm fortunate. I don't know anybody personally who's been seriously ill with COVID. I mean, my, my stepson and his family have had it, but I don't know anybody that's been hospitalized with it. But I get for a lot of people, it must have been absolutely impossible for the last year. I mean, I I, what about I, the rest I, of you? Yeah, I would happily go down dark roads if I had time. Just like, yeah, between like, <laughs> home and you. Read it. Like, Twitter is grimdark these days. Like, oh, okay. Doom scrolling. Yeah. Like, you bear witness to history. And <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I I wonder about people that go, go back to escapism and sort of going, you know, this is this is unrealistic. Like, you know, there I, I've seen there are no happy endings. I can't accept this. <laughs> Possible, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I think that would be like a really, really like your wacky escapism, or I could be like your like, sort of artistic and like your know, poetic, and like people wouldn't attempt to have any level of realism, like st- um, just like you know, magical portal fantasy. And actually, portal fantasy, I think, would be the next big thing. Hmm. <laughs> just pure escape, yeah. Depends where the portal goes, more. right. Okay, back to 2020. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but yeah, that was the worst portal. I think I was, it was kind of weird because I was writing like a strange kind of project last year that was um, not quite a novel, <laughs> but either way, very mysterious, I know. But it was based in 1666, obviously the plague, the Great Fire and the plague uh, years as well. Um, and it was alternate kind of history fantasy. And I just found myself as soon as March last year came around, I was like, nope, not writing this anymore. Just noped right out of it. Nope. Yeah, and just shoved it to the side. And then, um, yeah, so then Plague has kind of made an absence and think, you know, themes of that nature have made an absence from my work. And then more humor has crept in, you know, more dark humor and things like that into my into my works. And then, but yeah, personally, I, I felt this kind of like layer of, I don't know, just 
angst, I suppose. Not in like a kind of, yeah, you know, I don't want to say depression because it's kind of it's weird to self-diagnose yourself like that. But just, yeah, this angst can kind of stop me writing for a couple of weeks um, through like March, April. And it's kind of doing it again in January. It might just be January blues. But yeah, just that kind of distraction, that layer of distraction that was there just kind of making me want to, yeah, hunker down, play Xbox more, just not do anything creative. Yeah, I know what you mean. The first I, I can't get out yeah. Oh, it was. It was a. It was a more of a lockdown in the UK, wasn't yeah. it, than we got now. But I think it's saturation. I'm, I get to the point now. I get up in the morning, look at my, the BBC News on my phone, and I just think damage report. <laughs> How bad is it today? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like oh god, what's happened? Yeah, in, in the US or whatever. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, the first lockdown was hard for, to to start writing. I just got my contract and agent and sorted out on you what I was doing and then I didn't know what to do next and then we got locked down and then you're stuck in a house and my kids we want uh -huh. to strangle both of them sometimes um, <laughs> and what, what, what do you do how do you start what, what what's what's the next bit mm. but you get back into it I think it's just it's hard and when you talk about plague books I got recommended from a, a colleague at work to in lockdown two you know we're in the third one now um was go and watch contagion about it Seven years ago, yeah. that, you know, that was, oh, I'm not current yeah. right now for a week or so, and I've seen that. But <laughs> it, I think it's been much slower to write. And yeah. I've got to put in, mm. in the second book, Science in the North, where I've just thought, you know what, I know someone's going to die now. I know it's going to be horrible. I just need to take a break for a day before I get this yeah. thing written. Because it's been a horrible scene beforehand. <laughs> yeah, well, in my case, wine. But yeah, something yeah. like that. Um, just to get through. Definitely. Magic potion, mate. Definitely. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what about you holly yes yeah I'm, i was just sat here I'm, I'm listening to this and i'm thinking like just i've honestly kind of had like the opposite like effect where actually i think i've got so much more done over like maybe like the last 12 months and i think it's because when i was writing the first book so much of kind of the, the dark um side of it I was writing from, you know, like obviously not my own experience because I've never been like an assassin in like an 18th century alternate universe, right. but from like dark experiences and things like that. So I got very so good at kind of writing, you know, writing away. And then, you know, I'd turn off the writing and like I'd completely switch off and like my brain would just flick from like dark, 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 everything's terrible, you're all going to die, to just like, oh, cake, like, <laughs> you know, I kind of feel like I've been training for the past, like, couple of years to this lockdown, because I just, I just completely switch off to it, and I just kind of crack on with whatever I'm doing, so, you know, I think I've, I've written more this year in the first kind of, like, well, this kind of last 12 months than I did in probably two or three years running up to it. Oh, wow, good on. Well, yeah, I, 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 I found myself I, th I think it was after um I'm, I'm labor which is the uk kind of left wing-ish party we could argue about that all night i guess and and after the last <laughs> general election there, there was a guy jeremy corbyn who who had a lot of good policies that we can feel like you want about the guy but there were a lot of great policies and everything and, and, and there was a lot of hope at that point in time and then he he uh he lost this election and then there's all the pandemic and stuff and and i you know, I was doing a bit of doom scrolling and all the rest of it. But for me, it was like, you know what? I I can sit your doom scrolling and whinge in, or I can actually do something. And so I actually got signed up to my local Labour Party. I'm going for local town councillor now in May oh, in the no, by-elections. Nice but, but it's, well but, done, but, so it's, it's, it's manifested in, well, if I could do something for my community, if I could just 
you know, make a difference. It's all about being a, a hopefully decent person and otherwise, you know, virtue signaling how awful everything is to, to, to my bubble. But actually, you know, can I sort out the local community centre? Can I, you know, um, uh, help organise you know things you know that that the people need around me you know in the, this oh. this neighborhood and and so i thought yeah you know so so i I've, I've done very little writing there's other reasons why i haven't been writing but but that's how it's affected me it's almost like i've wanted to do something in reality at the same oh. time i i i think there's a of there's a stronger desire than ever to tell stories about for me to tell a story about people who you know w won't take this anymore you know pe people who aren't necessarily going to make everything right but however wrong it is they're not they're going to hold course and they're going to mm. i'm i'm standing for this good thing and even if it takes me down i'm i'm not budging you know and, and i feel like i need a bit of that from my characters and so you know do, do they make it is <laughs> a happy ending it's not particularly in my books um but you have a brother red and, and winter road have got two two female protagonists and they just they just they've got a moral core even though the stuff that happens to them you know they they have very little control over but they they don't they bend but they don't break uh and i i've needed that you know i needed to read that or experience that you know yeah, I agree on the, on the theories of like um, of rebellion and things like that and just needing, yeah, something to stick to and found that creeping into my kind of my books level, the book I was writing last year. I'm more interested in though, and I think Adrian, it's kind of, this is this your ploy to becoming, to ruling with an iron fist first the local council? <laughs> yeah. We'll start, yeah. We'll start slow and yeah. <laughs> suddenly this grim dark wall. Yeah. It's yeah. Now the invasion begin. Yeah, I've been staying on my WhatsApp groups. Vote for me, Telscombe Town Councillor, and I will hold Wall Street to account. <laughs> there will be hangings if you don't mow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, I'll be worried about potholes in reality. Oh, <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and street lights not working properly, and uh, you know, and, yeah. But that is awesome, yeah, it's yeah, something yeah, it's, it's, it's the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's like the super thing, isn't it? Yeah. 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 First your counselor. Yeah. I think I think for me it was just like this constant level of anxiety. Like, it, it, you know, I'd wake up in the morning and be like, battle report, and just mm -hmm. doom scroll for 20 minutes. Yeah. And I, <laughs> you know, I found that, wow, I read, a, there's a lot of pandemic books. <laughs> you know, that's, that's really big. I don't think I can review these. <laughs> <laughs> Wine or puppies or kittens or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I have a different reality than I suppose because I have, I have to go into work every day because I, I I teach um, and work in safeguarding so I'm I'm there a lot with kids and other adults and listening to parents and all that kind of thing so I'm always out whereas a lot of other people are always in and they yeah. can't go anywhere I think that for me it's it's I have a different reality than a lot of other people because I'm there every day because I'm out of the house every day but lockdown one for me was the one I had to stay in we didn't go out so much and that was that was hard. I didn't realize how hard it would be on me not to go out and see people because I hate people generally. You know, so, <laughs> you know, I have a social battery that runs out very quickly. Um, but actually, being out is, is a good thing for me. But I understand other people having that anxiety and that worry and those fears. It's just, it's difficult. Right? 
Yeah. Very good for introverts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that introverts unite separately at home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's the one. Yeah. Might be over Zoom if we're feeling particularly outgoing that night. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm more worried about like actually going out after it's all over. Like that's the bit that scares me because I'm I feel like I've acclimatized to being in the house now. Mm -hmm. So I've just got like these horrible visions of like walking out and trying to like open my car door with a fork or something. <laughs> I've just forgotten how to exist in the world outside. <laughs> I've for, I've completely forgotten how to socialise. I must admit. I mean, I'm still using the car occasionally to go and get groceries or whatever. So I've, I haven't forgotten how to drive yet. But you've got to drop me in a crowded pub three years ago. And I'm like, what? Yeah. It's full of people, and I don't like it. <laughs> I've completely so forgotten close. how to do it. It's weird. <laughs> I think the socialise thing is very important. It's going to be very strange, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, did anyone else become a doomsday prepper <laughs> around <I> March? Yeah. There may be supplies laid in. Right? <laughs> yeah. the Reddit prepping thread, you know, like like on Reddit, they have their prepping forum, and I'm just like, oh yeah, I'm gonna do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They're, they're I, I with a in and a machine gun, no, and they, we, we we can't do that in our countries. <laughs> Yeah. I was close. I was close. I bought, was a, I bought a machete <laughs> and some other knives and things and then made myself a go bag. It's partly like a wilderness camping bag that then could be used. Uh -huh. <laughs> could be your bug out bag. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I know oh, I don't yeah. like toilet paper. There's been quite the run on toilet paper in the US. That is the weirdest thing. It's we had that here as well. Weird <laughs> of all the people, people were all the things people panicked about worrying out of. Awesome. Worrying out of running out of even, you know what I mean? <laughs> Toilet paper. I mean bread, I would understand. Frozen canned things that will last for years. Toilet paper? Really? Everyone with B days was laughing. It's just the most ludicrous thing for people to panic about ever, isn't it? I don't, I don't understand it. I mean, in terms of like lessons I've like, taken from the last couple of years for writing, like my hmm. bad guys have become stupider and people have become stupider. Used to have these like you know, complicated like you know, intricate plots through the world, and my last book, Main Village, is just like you know, this really strong guy hits things a lot. I did it perfectly well. <laughs> <laughs> there was a great question from um, John Bob. It says, what place does humor, gallows, or otherwise have in grimdark writing? Oh, I think it comes hand in hand. Oh, I think <laughs> it's, it's essential. Thing. Yeah, absolutely agree, Holly. No, you've you've got to get your gallows humor in. I mean, if if you've ever spoken to real serving soldiers, mm -hmm. they have the blackest wittiest sharpest sense of humor you have ever heard yeah now i was gonna say like people who work in emergency services as well as yeah, military, exactly yeah, right. like, yeah, yeah. You know, and exactly. Um, paramedics you know joking over a what is it the uh, i can't remember what's the word Autopsies <laughs> and things like that. You always see time and I. I love CSI. I know it's stupid, but I love it. 
They were just literally talking about this the other day and uh, how, how they can make jokes jokes over a corpse or a murder scene and things like that. And it's like, that's how you deal with it. That's how you don't get mired in depression. Yeah. yeah. I think you have to. If you're surrounded by that kind of thing all day, you've, you've got to find some black humor in it or you'd lose your mind, wouldn't mm -hmm. you? you know? Yeah. Yeah. So no, I think it is important for realism. Sorry, yeah. Uncle. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I think it's important in the sense that it's such a, it goes back to that thing of being human is that like you can literally strip everything away from a character to the point where like you can take everything, including all hope away and they can still have a sense of humor because that's the one thing that you just cannot take from a person. Mm. Like you can't rob a person of their ability to laugh or to, to make a joke or to try and lighten a situation. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, no, agree. Absolutely agree. Sometimes I'd argue as well, <clears throat> types or timings of violence can be funny. And I know that's kind of like a dangerous line to tread because mm -hmm. it's fun sometimes of throwing <laughs> things. But there have been moments, you know, for instance, in Game of Thrones, as an like, example, just because there's so many uh, memorable deaths and it's quite ubiquitous. But there's some moments you're just like, you laugh as like the hound just goes to town on someone. And even though it's a bit grotesque, or I don't know, sometimes things can happen accidentally, Snatch uses that and, you know, uh, Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. Um, mm. Those sorts of films make John Wick 3. John Wick 3, yeah, just like, you know, accidentally shooting yourself in the foot. Oh, the, there's like one that. of those, I can't remember which one it is, there's one of those where the guys just survived this massive gunfight in a bar walks out the door and just gets hit by a random car for no apparent yeah. reason. It's absolutely <laughs> hilarious. How like, the first time I saw that? It was so funny. That's it. It's the right yeah. person at the right time in the right way, I think. Exactly. It's all in the timing. I, yeah. I know it was one of the Guy Ritchies. I can't remember which one it was, but the timing was just absolutely perfect. <laughs> it was so funny. Yeah. I, I, have, I have something like that. When I went and saw Titanic in theaters, you yeah you know and everybody's crying and stuff and the ship is going up and then they have the scene where the dude falls off the ship yes. holding on and he falls off and he tumbles and he hits the propeller yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh i started crying and i was only <laughs> in the theater just all these, these, these crying people around me looking at uh, yeah. <laughs> hilarious it was just the, the perfect bit of dark humor I don't think uh, it's not even intentional. It was just a perfect little bit of dark humor in a very dark scene that just. That's a good litmus test for whether you like Grimdark, actually. Just watch yeah, it. Oh, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is this thing funny? Yes, no. <laughs> Here's a book. Yes. May I interest you in? <laughs> you love it. Oh, man. I think the characters have to have to have humor, have to laugh, have to be sarcastic, have to the gallows, the dark humor. Otherwise, they're not characters. Yeah. yeah. Just oh, definitely. Definitely. People spouting and believable people. They really do. I mean, if a character's not a believable person, what do I care what happens to him? You know? Yeah. So, and if you kill yeah. them off later on in Grimdark, no one cares about them. Another one dead. No. And when I kill somebody <laughs> off, I want people to cry about it. You know what I mean? That's the whole point. <laughs> yeah. I think that leads into another um, question about like Grimdark as a genre. Does a Grimdark novel have to have a spark of hope? No. <laughs> I mean, yes. <laughs> no, I'm just thinking my, my maximum evil no, but yeah, I think it would. <laughs> I, I think to be an enjoyable grimdark novel, it does. 
I mean, you look at a lot of the Warhammer stuff, as Gareth was saying earlier. There is absolutely no hope. We are all going to be eaten by Tyranids eventually. It's, it's, it's inevitable. But <laughs> That's a genre of uh, they, they, they are all Like you, know, you never feel like you you were in a Warhammer novel when you you know, it happened. Some, war happened to someone else, mm. and you can, you can have a bit <clears throat> be hopeless if you're not supposed to like you know, strongly empathize with the characters. Like you, know, mm. you like you. Know, have a laugh at like you know, the horrible fates of these people who are not you, or and who could never be you. Whereas if you're like you, know, if you're in a sort of like, you know, close focus or first person novel where you try to emphasize the character, the, I think you need a spark of hope. Otherwise, it's going to just be a depressing experience, not fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think, I think... The, the, the end of um, Pretty Street Station, which a book I loved up until the very end, which has sort of like, you know, the sort of twist, dark ending where bad things happen and they kill the characters all of bad endings. And that had a really sort of sour taste in my mouth. And it wasn't just the book was happy and joyous and positive, I think. But it was the, 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 sort of the last kick of the teeth. Okay, I've not read that one. It's it, it's very, very some... good. The ending is... I know uh, the name of the author, but I can't think of it. Remind um, me. Who's the author? Oh, that's it. Yes, you yes. Also this. Yeah, no, I've not read that. I've heard about it. Yeah, it's it is fantastic, but mm. the ending I is think very dark. A, a lot of grimdark is knowing you stand very little chance, but doing it anyway mm-hmm. because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'd agree on that. I read The yeah. Road with Cormac McCarthy's, which I'm sure everyone's read. That's dark. That's hell. Dark as hell. And it, it, it gets to one bit, and I had to go upstairs, and my son was about four at the time. He's oh, had a liquid, but and just had to go give him a cuddle, and then go back and finish it off. Oh, but even in that, yeah. book, which is full of darkness and full of depression, there's hope at the end of it. There's got to be a there's glimmer a of hope, isn't there. there? Otherwise, why? Do you know yeah. what I mean? And there yeah, is the faintest yeah. of glimmers in the road. Even, even, it it's, yeah. <laughs> even if it's a very, very faint glimmer, there's got to be something worth fighting for otherwise you might as well just lie down and die you know yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. where would you put yourself through it if there wasn't a little bit of something worth striving mm-hmm. for i think that's important in grimdark i mean if you look at someone like i don't know ed mcdonald's raven's mark series i don't know how many people have read that yeah yeah and i mean you know it's, it's post-apocalyptic hellscape of misery that's besieged on all sides but there is this shred of hope that galaro can get through it and sort it out and i think he did that really really well it's absolutely great series yeah. but it's it's very on the razor's edge of is it worth it which is it's something the character goes through you know i highly recommend them they're really really good books yeah i reread um corpse rat king the other day um I don't know, I forget. It was ages ago that I read it, but it's, I don't know if anyone's read that, but it's just absolutely brilliant. And the guy, the character, um, I don't think it's a spoiler, but the character dies very, very quickly. <laughs> and he's just basically, oh, okay. like, he's just ravaging, yeah. Um, <laughs> he's just ravaging through corpses on the battlefield and things like that, and just something goes to shit. <laughs> and so he spends the whole novel dead. Um, I think about it, it's like very similar to the book I read. I was like, oh God, I've stolen it. <laughs> um, he's a ghost, it's fine. No, this, this guy's kind of, he's just this rotting corpse in most of the book, but he's, so he's literally got no hope. But you, again, there's like this point, it's like, will he get his body back? Will he adjust? Will he, will he somehow do something? 
and he's just on this roller coaster ride of, of the plot, not really knowing what's going on and trying not to keep his limbs falling off from you know rotting away and things like that. But again, maximum humor <laughs> and the, yeah, the, the slimmest shred. It's almost just like mystery. You don't know what's going to happen, but in a way that gives you hope that there it will end up somewhere. Might yeah. not be any hope for him, but again, yeah. from a reader's point of view, mm. yeah, I highly recommend that one. Would you say that's the same with, like, say, a lead protagonist in the story? He can be an absolute bastard, just a complete sociopath, but there has to be something in the character that can appeal to a reader. There has to be something to grab a hold of. He can't be a 100% bastard. He can be, like, 99.9%. You think that's true? I don't know. I mean... I don't know who's, who's read Mark Lawrence's Prince of Thorns. Prince of Thorns is a clockwork orange with swords. And yes. I think Mark would probably agree with that. <laughs> Prince York is Alex from a clockwork orange. And he is an irredeemable, psychopathic, rapist bastard. But then when you get to book two and see what his dad did to his poor dog that Mark, I still have not forgiven you for. <laughs> It, it kind will. of works, <laughs> do you know what I mean? But I mean, York's one of those people that you'd loathe and probably be scared of. But when you're reading the book, you still kind of root for him a bit. And yeah, I don't know if it's because he, he's engaged. I mean, all all psychopaths are are snake oil salesmen, aren't they? They do have, have, tend to have this good engagement, this good patter, which I think Mark did very well. But also, you think, well, everybody else is even worse, so I might as well uh, root for you. Uh, do you know what I mean? He's a fascinating character. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You can, you can see the impact of violence on him. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's exactly. what the book is, isn't it? It's not, he's, yeah. it's not through choices like that. It's because of no, his history. No, like no. A product, complete product of his environment and upbringing. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. I, I think Lawrence did that really well. Yes, I mean, you know, he's, he's not a he's not a nice guy, but I don't think I don't think a good character necessarily equates a likable character. No, I mean, I mean, my main character Thomas Party is not a very nice man, but I've, you know, people think he's a good character, but I don't think I'd want to go for a pint with him because I might get stabbed. Do you know what I mean? I think that's a that's a really important point in Grimdark. Mm. Yeah, you can yeah. have characters, but they you definitely don't have to like them. No, don't no, no, you don't. You've got to empathize with them a bit. So you've got to have some empathy with them. Oh, yeah, you've got to understand where they've come from. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. But you don't have to like yeah. empathy. You don't have to. You know, there's lots of characters out there that like, hate, but root for in the end or want to win. Even if they make things worse in the end. Somebody in the public comments has just said, not my beautiful York. So there we go. <laughs> he is obviously a loved character. And I, I apologize. Slowly read for slacking off your lovely York. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, oh, the comments have been really funny as we've gone along talking about all these different books. I love that book, Bastard of a Character. Terrible. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Yeah. But you love him really, don't you? You know what I mean? You don't you, you want to kind of root him. Kind He's so of memorable. Weird way. Dark. Mm. And I think I think that's it. It is memorability, isn't it? Mm -hmm. If you get acquainted enough with a character that you remember I mean that book must be I don't know, ten, fifteen years old now. But we still we all still remember him. And I think that is the mark of a really bloody well written character. Is that mm. ten, fifteen years after you read the book, you still remember that character, whether you like him or hate him. Mm -hmm. it's, it, 
Lawrence has made it feel like a real character, isn't it? A real person. Mm. And I think that's that's probably all any of us can really aspire to is to write about made up people that feel real. You know? Mm-hmm. And Mark is paying us later for all this free publicity as well, so that's right. Yes, he that's is. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he owes us several beers now. <laughs> and also to resurrect that damn dog, but that's never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you think that there is a trend in Grimdark for more realistic fight scenes, uh, slippage gore, and why? Does that go back to the... the um, uh, like first person point of view and, you know... More of a visceral yeah, experience. I, I, I think so. I mean, I'm going to shut up because I've talked too much, and uh, <laughs> now the people have a go. But yes, I think there is. <laughs> so beautiful radio voice you've got, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a good face for radio. I've been told, Ben. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I forgot the question. Oh yeah, really. yes. Yeah. I do. Yes, yes, there is. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's that sort it's, of you know describing a fight scene of you know that swashbuckling thing. That I think we touched on earlier, and then also sparing a moment to describe like the smell of the battlefield, the sound of the breath in your helmet, things like that, the weight of the sword. Not necessarily blow by blow, you know, like pirouetted and then performed this move, what have you. But it's those extra details that I think adds realism. Um, I think with enough detail or kind of reason behind it, I think you can make anything like realistic-ish. But yeah, I think that's how, personally, I think the books I've read and the way I'm writing is leaning towards is just bringing those extra sensory points that just deepen everything. And yeah, without bogging people down in detail, because that's, that's the worst. Yeah. So that, I'll ask Holly a question, because she was there last night. She's there for me. She's the, that way for me. Um, <laughs> I mentioned something last night about a child and a knife in that panel. Which Remember that? what she said about. She was talking about uh, in lots more books now that the violence is that you, a child can still kill you with a knife. Basically, it's not. It doesn't matter. Yes. Yes, it was. It, I just, I think I already loved her anyway, but I think at that point, I just, she became my hero. It was, um, she was saying about how she'd had people say to her that women can't write uh, realistic fight scenes. And she gave oh. a really amazing, eloquent answer, <laughs> yeah. which is so much better than I could have ever put it. Um, and the whole reason I was hoping that I didn't get asked this question was because <laughs> I, I don't. <laughs> Sorry. Like fight scenes, I I write killing scenes where people get killed a lot, mm. but I don't actually have like that many characters who fight. I don't like to give my characters that much of a sporting chance. So, <laughs> for me, when I'm writing, I do like it to be realistic. But the kind of the stuff that I research and the stuff that I look is more kind of you know what happens to a body when it's been in a canal for six weeks, and you know what comes out of a body if you put it in a hot cupboard for like three days after you've strangled them to death. So, you know, yeah, yeah, (laughs) stuff like that, you know. So, uh, I mean, that's that's why my Google history um, is a little bit questionable. So I I don't really know that much about fights, but I could tell you lots about bodies. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Well, I've I've written three series, um, two self-published ones, one set in ancient China. So it's all Kung Fu, which is, you know, I, I did a bit of that when I was younger. And a bit when I was older, um, so that's all kind of wire foolish. So that's not realistic at all. And then there's the sci-fi stuff with Corin, who can't fight anyway. He's just 
a puncher, a slugger, and hopes for the best, and then gets hurt a hell of a lot. Um, <laughs> and then the seven death one, the Roman stuff, where the violence has become a lot more not visceral but quicker. You know, a sword kills you. The sword doesn't give you a little slice on an arm and then you fight fight on fifteen hours. You know, it slices your arm and you bleed out from your wrist. It's yeah, it's quicker, it's faster, and there's I suppose more brutal. It's become over the years I've been writing. No one says about me at all, but there you go. Um, <laughs> I think it, it has. More real, isn't I wish I'd done more research prior to um, sort of Snakewood, because Snakewood seemed a bit too Hollywood in terms of the, the, the kind of the cut and thrust of a fight when then I got chatting to Ed McDonald, who's a, who, who uh, is one of the authors I know. I'm sure there are many more that actually do sword fighting and uh, martial arts and stuff. And when I followed links to, you know, bought some books on it and all that, it, it's it's how it's over in a moment. It's it's simply, you know, one one roll over the guard of someone or whatever, and and they're done. They're dead. It it a fight takes a second or two to 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 be decided, you know, because as soon as someone's seriously injured, they can't defend themselves. It, it's then a very quick, and that and that, you know, su to possibly shamefully surprised me. I thought, you know, when I saw some of these things happen, I thought, yeah, these engagements are over in a flash. I mean, you, you couldn't write a fight scene as such mm -hmm. because they're just you, you, one mistake, you're dead. So for, for my hero to get through this, um, they're going to get through this really, really quickly, actually. And so to go back to the to go back to the earlier point, the great bit of advice I was given was the mechanics of a fight. The uh, you know the movements that are made is actually incredibly dull. It's the emotion, it's the feeling of of being in a fight, the, the fear, the the gut wrenching kind of you know. And, and I, I made a I made a video game ages ago. So I'm a video game producer, and we made a game called um, Black um, for the PS2, I think it was, uh, and Xbox One. And uh, the, the the creative director, a guy called Alex, said the thing I wanted to get across. Uh, it, it was called the uh, the empty room, and he said when I when he went to Los Los Angeles or whatever, and you can go to a range and shoot guns. He said shooting a gun is terrifying. It's it's just terrifying to hold something that is capable of killing someone. Or whatever he said, so I I I want us to shooting a gun in an empty room to be an incredibly powerful and breathtaking experience before we put some soldiers in front of you trying to shoot you back, like Call yeah. of Duty or whatever. And so we focused a great deal on the way, way uh, it would move, the sound of it, the audio became really important. But it, it was it was something I bore in mind, you know, that it's the, it, it it's the fear of death is is a moment away and and uh, and all that you know that that you know which I think and I think Game of Thrones got that really well I think there was a moment where I was could hardly breathe which was uh, Jon Snow almost uh, getting buried oh, in his bodies battle of the bastards you know and any and he's just started to suffocate as you know and, and be lost and and it just it was just this horrifying oh my God you know I'm going and and, and I'm helpless. And it captured that really well. And so, um, yeah, I've tried to remember that more than, you know, ducking left and right and <laughs> forward and back and, and all that kind of stuff, you know. So I've tried to steer away with that as, as the books have gone on. So I had a conversation with Ed McDonald at BristolCon, and he was talking about swords and about talking to him about fighting. And he was talking about all the swords that he'd got in his books and all the things. And he asked Adrian, so what sword did you use? And Adrian went, just a sword. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. so I had no idea. Sword. Pointy one. <laughs> one, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a sharp yeah, end and a handle. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm glad Jeff, you revealed that to the whole internet. I, I'm really, <laughs> really um, I'm going now. 
You always run that risk though, don't you? Putting too much detail in. This is why like I'm yeah. terrified Christian Cameron reading any of my books. I'm just like <laughs> and then we've talked about it, and obviously he, he reads for fun and completely leaves that part of his brain and suspends that uh, kind of detail of it, but I'm still terrified. I think he's in dropped out. He's in he's in Norfolk, it happens. Yeah. All right. <laughs> You put too much detail in, don't you have the risk of like people going, oh, it's not really like that. If you can keep yeah. it kind of vague. It will yeah. I mean, the answer is it's fantasy, isn't it? So, I mean, we can get away with quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I've had the advantage of like, you know, having like, you know, weird alchemical weapons and giant monsters and like, you know, eldritch gods doing most of the violence in my books. So it's like, you know, ah, I will tell you how uh, you know, like your golem made with a wax fast you. Because if you're picking it up, <laughs> and while you, like, you bring in as much weed as, as you can, and like you know, imagine what it would be like if there really were like you know, terrifying wax people or whatever, it's you you, you it's like you know, you obviously you're kind of making it up. You, you're in control. You can you can pick pick what is realistic in that situation. Yeah. yeah. I I have a great question here from Book Invasion. Is do you think having a certain level of violence is necessary for Grimgark? Um, and do you struggle to write enough of it? Like, do you even have to have, you know, straight up violence in, uh, to have a be a grimdark novel? God, you know, I, I, I'd say I'd say no, but it's, it's but only because the one book I'm thinking of, which is the Berry Giant Kazuo Ishiguru, if I pronounce that right, um, has no violence in it as such, but is really really dark, and the ending to that book. Um, a few people have said, well, the ending was rubbish. Actually, the ending, I'll, I'll never forget the ending to that book. And it was in incredibly bleak for me, uh, ending. But it was about an old couple trying to go to the next village to see their son. But there's a magical mist over the land that makes everyone forget things, forget, you know, lose their memory. They don't know why it's happened or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just this old couple walking ah, from one place to another. And, um, and, and yet the... The outcome of that book's horrifying. And whether that's more horror, I don't know, but it's clearly a mm. fantasy setting because it, it's, uh, you know, it's a first which, you know, uh, there's, knights, there's a knight in it and a, uh, a serpent, I think, at some point. But um, yeah, but there's a lot of violence in Grimdark. I think mm. you can do it without violence, but it's going to become very, very oppressive if you're just like, relying on, like, you know, just the, the grimness and darkness of the setting as opposed to. Yeah, that's like, true. danger. Like if, if, if with, with violence, like you, know, there can be scenes where there's no violence happening. But like you, know, there are no bad guys here at the moment. We can have a conversation. Whereas if it's if you don't have that, like you, know, intermittent threat, then you're going to like you know, those are constant. The world is generally awful in every possible way, and that could be, I think, just depressing to read. Yeah. Mm. It, it, yeah. Yeah. Another description: you you can do it without it, but it's trickier. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, I actually, I have two questions left. Um, uh, it says, does Grimdark favor low magic or high magic? I think we touched on that a little bit mm. earlier. Tends to be a lot of low magic in Grimdark, but. Mm. I, I don't, I, it's, it's, I'm just thinking because there was at the very outset, I think maybe when, when before we come on, we were talking to someone who mentioned Michael Fletcher beyond redemption. Mm. Um, you know, and, and that seems highly magical because obviously it's, it's, it's an incredibly invent, 
way that he's done it where basically if 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 the will to believe something is strong enough it it, it is it becomes real it reality is what people believe it to be and 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 it's a battle of wills um and so in that respect it's intensely magical but a very very strange and weird and dark and and at times camp sort of magic i don't know if it's a little bit of a camp but but it was but it's just such a great book it's dark and camp at the same time and, and bonkers um but yeah, for my own work, um, you know, the, the magic's in the plant life. And so it's all about drug taking in the sense that you you mix potions together, you drink them and they enhance you, you know, way more than in this world, which is why it's sort of semi-magical. But it's very much about, you know, um, a, a addiction and drug taking and, and the way that wrecks your body and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I fit into that category perfectly. <laughs> Yeah. This is kind of a science-based magic almost, though, isn't it? With the herbs and the recipes and the books and all those things. It's it's almost... Science fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You'll, tell me, you'll tell me it's not there, but that's all right. Genres no, are hard, is. too, yeah. because there is so much overlap on stuff now. So saying something is low magic or high magic doesn't really, <clears throat> really work anymore. So there's the lines of demarcation are not as solid. Yeah. I try to think what I mean because my books always have magic in to some degree and to be honest most of the times I do magic they are I suppose what you could call the hard magic of having rules guidelines tolls you know think about that quite a set system of how they work um I try to think my most grim darkest one though yeah the magic was actually yeah <laughs> thinking about it, it was quite low in general in terms of how it featured um, and how it also played a, a part in the plot as well. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, magic also seems to be less of a get-out <laughs> or a get-out-jail-free card in Grimdark. Yeah. Um, in fact, there's was, was a great example I'm going to completely forget now. Uh, I want to say it was a book by Danny Ware, but I'm forgetting the actual um, name of the, of the title of it. But it was um, the system of magic of, of pain magic. So the main character had to cause themselves pain to be able to summon the magical power. And obviously, the more pain you can summon, uh, we're talking a, a quick, you know, punch in the gut, <laughs> slap in the face, things like that to yourself. It's all that self-infliction, and it was fantastic. And I thought that was really kind of very grimdark magic system. Yes, definitely. It's, it's like violence again. It's the consequences, like you know, just as in like you know, in a fight, so you can't get away with in grimdark, like you, know, you can't get away with like you, know, you slay him, he's gone. Similarly with the magic, like, you, you can't, it's like, you, you can't fire and forget. It's like you know, there's a cost to the spell. There is mm. uh, uh, repercussions for everything. Yeah. yeah. So the magic becomes less powerful in Grimdark to a degree. I don't know. I, I'm thinking about Raceland and Dragon Knights, which I go back to, is powerful. It was mm. a god at the end. I think. Spoiler, sorry. Um, <laughs> but it wasn't really like anything. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, in Grimdark, the, the magicians. I suppose in Gerald Cromwell's one, they, they have power, but it's not it's rarely seen. Mm. But mostly magic is lower powered. I mean, I had to Google what high magic and low magic was whilst at work today. You know, exactly <laughs> <what> <laughs> is quick, see what comes up. Um, but to get an explanation of it and just make sure I understood it, but some of it mentioned about monsters and back to um, Peter, who's not here now, dragons and elves not being in things. Mm. And Nicholas Eames' books are full of dragons and elves and orcs and all the monsters mm. in D&D. So I don't know if it does or not. Mm-hmm. That was a good answer there. I don't know in the end. <laughs> <laughs> um, the last question I have um, is, what is a favorite Grimdark moment from something you have read 
and why. And this is assuming everybody's big readers. And, you know. hmm. One of mine's got to be the Ramsey Bowen scene, which is equally as good in there. Um, I think oh, it's now I'm thinking. <laughs> um, that's more film. I realize my notes <laughs> are wrong. But I've got to say, if I can go into TV series, it's got to be the round of scene, um, which I'm not going to talk about because it might be spoilers for anyone who somehow hasn't seen or read it. But or, yeah, <laughs> I'd say that. Otherwise, I'd seen some of the Red Queen's War series. I forget specifically which book this is in, uh, whether it's the first or the second one, but where some of the dead things are coming after. Uh, Prince Jalen or Yalen, however you want to say that, and they are just the most disgusting, kind of, kind of terrifying. It's very horror, um, but they're just kind of you know the the undead kind of rising out of the ground and chasing him. I think those are really well written and yeah, foul creatures. <laughs> what what, what springs to mind is when first reading um, Dead Redemption again, and where where there's like explaining how the world works. I remember sure going. No, I, I, I don't want to read this. This is like you know, just too weird and disturbing. Yeah. The, whole, like, you know, the, the reality is like you know, sort of melting away into their belief, and the crazier you are, the more powerful you are. It's like, oh, that, that's that's just wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I haven't got a specific um, a specific scene that sticks out in in any that I've read, but. But oddly enough, and I just mentioned it, and Callisto mentioned it, but yeah, Beyond Redemption, I think it's 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 a criminally underrated book because of that kind of level of, of invention and how he sustains these three kind of um, I think it's three, isn't it? There's three these sort of fairly awful, you know, amoral characters going through it, but like but but it's that they're, they're at least better than all the other kind of psychopaths and sociopaths that are that are creating their reality for them um you know so and, and yeah it just seems to do an awful lot very well insofar as this panel is grimdark mm -hmm. it's almost for me the the archetype um uh, of of the genre so if you haven't read it uh, you know yeah. I'd, I'd say go go there would be my um uh, my my thing i think but but i tend to i tend i don't tend to read much grimdark Per se, I, you know, like like for me, the Ravens Mark series, uh, you know, Ed McDonald's, um, he called it Grimheart, you know, and, and and possibly my last two books are a bit more like that, you know, that they're dark, but the person at the middle, at the centre of it, you know, Gal Harrow in Ed's case, um, is just a good a, a good guy. He's you know he's, he's a bit like the uh, John Wayne in that unreconstructed heroic sense, you know, he's just he's just the moral core while everything else has gone to shit, you know, and um, and so for me, uh, there's a lot of that is cool, but. Grimdark, Grimdark, the thing that gets hits all uh, more uh, the most buttons possible uh, beyond redemption. Can it Holly go first? Yeah, please. Funny enough, I actually spent like the whole day reading today because I actually I bought uh, Traitor's Blade um, on Tuesday after watching um, Sebastian Castle on the panel, oh. um, and I literally I got it on Wednesday and I finished it today. Um, and I'm one of these people that I tend not to remember books like an, a day after I've read them, like any information just goes out of my head. But there was one line right at the end of it. And it just goes back to that whole idea of like the sense of humor thing. Um, and the line was against all logic and decency. Uh, I can't read Brasty had decided in that impossible moment to, to turn all the pain in the world into a joke. And like just that line, absolutely like hit me and i was just like that's that's exactly like what i needed to see right now like with everything that's going on i wanted to see all the pain of the world turned into a joke and i was just like 
it was just chef's kiss perfect. <laughs> um, I, I will embarrass two people on here. Um, I've read Adrian's books and that scene in the winter road, which you know is coming. And then it, you get to it and it hits you. It's dark, it's horrible. And it's also beautiful to a degree, if you can say that about that scene. It's wonderful. Um, Anna's testicle scene, which still, <laughs> which um, really does. <sighs> um, but, and um, Gareth's world is dark. I mean, that city, I've read the yes. Prayer, it just, yeah. that just, the whole world is so yeah. dark and so inventive and the wax and the tallow men and everything oh, yeah. else just gets, it just you carries you with it you could yeah. set anything in that city and it would, go men, and wrong, and it would just so, be yeah. absolutely fantastic they for, for me they're those three all in different ways are absolutely excellent in terms of grim dark if you want to call them that yeah. Sorry, Ben. Yeah. You passed. Oh, I loved. <laughs> I saw your PayPal. Your PayPal to, I saw your PayPal up later, Jeff. Yeah, I was going to say that. I've got to write you. Apparently, Peter's Wi-Fi has died on him again, and he's very sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, that's all the questions I have. So um, I guess this is the point where you guys can talk about your work, what you got going on for 2021, things people can look forward to seeing from you all. Uh, Jeff, do you want to go first? Oh, I'll go first then. So my first traditional novel is out in June the 22nd, which is, you know, I've got it on here, which will be around the right way. My lovely uh, cover. <laughs> Arcs due out very soon and being produced. Um, so I'm kind of looking forward to that because that is totally different for me. I've got a traditional book coming out. Um, doing the copy edits the last bit now and I've just finished writing the sequel to it which is off with my agent which is also Adrian's agent um, to see what he thinks of it and no doubt I'll get some feedback saying it's either good or needs reworking I don't know we'll see <laughs> it's exciting Holly yeah, so I uh, my book was out in October so it's it's currently 99p or 99 cents on uh, Amazon if um, anybody wants to go and have a look um, just get my promo in there um, <laughs> this year I am going to be writing the difficult second novel which is the current working title and, and may not change <laughs> please keep it, please keep it. <laughs> so, I don't honestly think there's going to be much else that I will be focusing on like fiction wise but outside of fiction um I did go through a period where I was writing a lot of gaming and pop culture and TTRPG articles and blogs so this year I'm going to put a focus back on that as well so hopefully get a few more of those out and try and pick that up again. Okay. All right. Gareth what do you got going on? Uh, the third book in Background Legacy The Broken God is out in May. I'm we'll start another trilogy this year which i must like you know find a title for um and there will be like a usual slew of tabletop gaming books out as well for me but that's a whole other panel okay cool ben uh what am i working on currently doing two books at once which kind of working but it might be a mistake um so yeah i'm writing basically the sequel to forever king so book two of um the skeleton chronicles book two is called heavy lies the crown um, and it's a good old classic, well, sort of grimdark quest sort of novel. I'm going Norse. Um, I'm continuing the Emanesca series, which was quite grim, without even knowing it was grimdark. So I'm trying to turn up that dial to make it 
really grimdark, but also keeping the horse and the dragons. So yeah, working on that one. Um, also working on or co-writing a book with David Estes. So that's the second one I'm working on. Currently called Blades of Talena. Um, again, my change, but yeah, it's kind of fun. It's going to be. It's kind of like a. a I'm pantsing for the first time with that, with a some plotting in the background. So it's been really fun to do that. Otherwise, just stuck inside, causing mischief on the internet and making videos. <laughs> I love the cover of that. Thank book. you. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Plug it. <laughs> What's that, sir? Did you do the cover? Or did you, um... uh, it was kind of. It's mostly Penn Astridge, um, who I know some of you will know. She's great, uh, great designer, and then and great artist. So yeah, that was kind of, I would say ninety percent. <laughs> and I just did the fonts, putting it all together, and some of the paints and colors. But yeah, the new one I've tried to draw myself. So it's probably going to be the worst one, but I'll reveal that soon. <laughs> to me, three days to do. <laughs> Terrible artist. But yeah, that's me. All right, Adrian, what do you have going on? Um, I'll mention first of all because it's a Daniel Kelly has just put uh, just mentioned the, for, for, <laughs> yeah for, for Peter Peter has the Priest of Gallows coming out in May. Peter Peter shout out um, yeah I mean it, it came out yesterday in the UK uh, Brother Red um, the third book set in uh, the the world uh, that I created for Snakewood um, so that's out now and then there's nothing for a good long while I've I've been doing some groundwork on a series a potential series but but quite you know quite when that comes you know get is ready for even my agent to see let alone a publisher that that feels like a long way off so um yeah I'll just uh, I've got nothing to talk about beyond brother red right now <laughs> we got a red brother I think one of the best parts of these panels is like your TBR stack just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger yeah yeah. <laughs> <The> time. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all I have. I just want to thank the uh, the authors for taking some time out to talk about Grimdark with us for this panel, and thank you. thank you for everybody coming out to watch. And uh, this panel should be available pretty soon on YouTube. So, thank you very much, and I had a thank great. You. Thank you, Beth. Thank, thank you. you. My pleasure. Yes.